We're so grateful, aren't we, that Jesus went to the cross, and it's good for us to ask the question even, so what, what led Jesus to the cross? We've kind of been looking at that over the last number of weeks. What was it that led Jesus to the cross? Was it Jesus' desire to glorify the Father by submitting to the Father's plan that led Jesus to the cross? Or was it Jesus' love and compassion for lost sheep without a shepherd that led Jesus to the cross? Or was it the evil and sin in the world at that time that led Jesus to the cross? Or was it the evil and sin in the world during our time that led Jesus to the cross? Maybe, maybe we could point at the religious leaders and the crowd that were there that led Jesus to the cross. Or we could point at Pilate and the Roman soldiers that led Jesus to the cross. Maybe it was the evil and sin in our own hearts that led Jesus to the cross. And the answer to all of those, of course, is yes. It was all of those things, really, that led Jesus to the cross. And so today, we're continuing on in our series in the Gospel of Mark. We're in Mark 15, 1 to 20. And there, we're going to examine the ways in which the depravity of humans leads Jesus to the cross. We're going to look at the ways in which the depravity of humans leads Jesus to the cross. And so what we're going to see is we're going to see a few snapshots of depravity here in Mark 15, 1 to 20. We're going to wrestle with the truth that, that it's not just the things that we see right here in Mark 15, 1 to 20. We can't just point fingers at the people and the characters we see in this passage of Scripture but that as we look at those snapshots of depravity, we're going to see that we often sin in the same ways as the people here in this account. And we, through that, display our own depravity. We're not going to end there. We're going to end by rejoicing together in the great hope that we have, knowing that it's because Jesus was delivered over to the cross by depraved people, that depraved people like us have hope to be delivered by Jesus. So we're going to see that here in this passage this morning. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Mark 15, 1-20. We want you to see God's Word. A great way to do that is to have the Bible yourself. If you need a copy of, of a Bible, let us know and we'll get you one. We also put it on the screen behind me uh, so that you can follow along there. If you're able to, would you please stand as we read God's Word this morning. Mark 15, verses 1 through 20. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things, and Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now, at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd 
to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is, this is heavy. This is your word. And, and we believe that your Holy Spirit can be at work through your word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work now so that in this familiar passage for many of us, that you would help us not just to see the depravity of people like Pilate and the soldiers and the crowd and the religious leaders, but that as we look at snapshots of depravity in their lives, that by your Holy Spirit, you would do the work of conviction in our own hearts that we might see our own depravity. And I pray that also you would open our eyes up to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the one who was delivered over to be crucified by the depraved is actually able to deliver the depraved. God, I pray that you would help us to see this this morning. I'm not able to do that on my own, so I pray that your spirit would be at work to do that. For your name's sake, amen. You can be seated. So snapshots of depravity. We're going to look at four of them. We're going to look at how we see them right here in this passage, and then we're going to step back a little bit and say, do we see that in our world today with each of them? So there's an outline in your bulletin that you can follow along with. Maybe take some notes if that's helpful for you. You'll see that the first snapshot of depravity that we're going to look at is the people that I'm going to call the religious I'm rights. The religious I'm right. We, we see them, we're introduced to them here. They're, they're a group of people known as the Sanhedrin. We've seen them in previous passages in the Gospel of Mark. <coughs> it's a group of people consisting of, of chief priests, elders, and scribes, and a high priest. There's altogether 71 of them. And these are Jewish religious leaders who are zealous for maintaining their religion. They're not, they're not people seeking to be evil and cruel. They're people seeking to zealously defend their faith and maintain their religion. They were people who were convinced that they knew just who God was. And they knew just how God should be worshipped. And they knew just how His people should live. They were the religious I'm rights. And they had power. So if you disagreed with them or you were a threat to them in any way, 
they would deal with you in some way. And they all agreed now that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy. We saw that in the passage last week. They agreed together that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy, and so they had a trial of sorts we saw last week. And now they have a quick meeting here in verse 1, and they all agree. And it says at the end of verse 1, And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. Verse 3 then says that they're going to make accusations against him once again. Jesus answers only one thing when Pilate says in verse 2, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, You have said so. And that's the only time we're going to hear from Jesus in this whole passage. Because it says in verses 4 and 5 that give an answer anymore. It says Jesus made no further answer and Pilate was amazed. So this group of religious leaders delivers him over to Pilate. They're an influential and powerful group of religious leaders. Look ahead into verses 10 and 11. Here's what we see about them here. It says in verse 10, For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But, it says in verse 11 now, The chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. So these guys are not only convinced they're right, that they're doing the right thing. They're defending their faith. They're standing up for maintaining their religion. They, they believe that they know how God wants to be worshipped. They're right, and the other people are wrong, and Jesus is a threat. And they're willing to influence other people to believe that same thing so that Jesus could be done away with. These are the religious I'm right. And in them we see a snapshot of depravity. But like I said, with each of these snapshots, we're going to take a step back and say, so do we see that in our world today? Do we see in our world today people who are genuinely committed to their religious system and so convinced that they're right that they will actually turn against Jesus and seek to influence others to join them? And your mind might quickly run to, well, yeah, I see that in Muslim jihadists, right, who are so committed to their religious system, so convinced that they're right, that they'll go to great lengths to prove it, even killing those who bear the name of Christ. That's certainly evil, and it is a a present reality in our world. But I don't want to just only look there and not look at, at our own hearts and do some honest examination because we need to ask ourselves is it also possible for us to be so zealously committed to defending our own faith that we might become what one e-free church pastor calls accidental pharisees he wrote a book called that it's a good book by larry osborne called accidental pharisees and in that book speaking of these religious leaders here's what he says the quote's going to be up there says this, they saw themselves as God's biggest fans. And they praised Him, they worshipped Him, they spoke out in His defense. Yet, when He showed up, they vehemently opposed Him. And then this is, this is humbling. He says this, in the same way, we can wax eloquent about Jesus in the Scriptures. We can praise Him and sing to Him. We can speak out in His defense. Yet when He shows up in ways we don't expect, that we don't agree with, or that make us uncomfortable, we can actually fight Him tooth and nail. It's good to be zealous, but we need to be careful that in our zeal we don't accidentally become Pharisees. 
we're willing to, to, to think we're so convinced that we're right about everything, that we stand up for all the things that we think are right, and, and we, in the process, somehow even turn against Jesus. We need to be careful that in our zeal, we don't look at, at other people whom Jesus looks at with compassion. And because of the ways that maybe some other people, maybe you get upset. I get upset sometimes with the way that some churches have kind of hijacked Matthew 25 and kind of made the whole mission of the church be focused around a social gospel. We can get upset about that, but in our zeal to, to show that they're wrong and that we're right about that, one thing that can maybe happen is that we end up with zero compassion for the poor and for the immigrants, for those that, that God calls us to have compassion for. But instead of compassion, because we don't like the way other people are handling it, we, we, we respond with criticism rather than compassion right away. We can quickly, without really recognizing it, turn into the religious I'm right. And in ways, turn against Jesus rather than turning people to Jesus. So in the religious I'm rights, we have a snapshot of the kind of depravity that would deliver Jesus over to be crucified. Let's go ahead, though. We're going to talk a little bit about Pilate. The next point you'll see, the next snapshot we're going to look at, I, I termed the people-pleasing puppet. The people-pleasing, I can't even say it, the people-pleasing puppet named Pilate. Okay, a little background on Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor of Palestine. He was appointed by the Roman emperor. So he was governing a large area. He didn't live in Jerusalem normally, but during this time of Passover, when pilgrims from all over would come to Jerusalem, he thought it was wise to come and live there and be around there for, for a couple weeks while everybody was there. So he came and he lived there for a period of time during Passover. And I put him under this category of a people-pleasing puppet. Maybe you heard that as we were reading through this passage. Let's review it just a little bit. It says in verse 6 that, he had this, this uh, custom that at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. He was trying to keep a lot of people happy. He was trying to keep the people happy that he governed. He was trying to keep the Roman emperor happy. It's hard to keep everybody happy all the time, isn't it? And so he tries to release for them every time during this time of year one prisoner for whom they ask, it says in verse 6. They end up choosing Barabbas we'd read about. I'm not gonna, Barabbas is, is a very interesting character. I'm kind of skipping him. Uh, just so you know, we're going we're gonna to get back to Barabbas uh, and a number of other characters more in the Good Friday service. So come back for that in a week and a half. But we get to verse 9, and verse 9 says this, And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Gives them the option. He says, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Of the Jews, but the crowd insists. So in verse 11, we read this. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Well, then what shall I do with the man that you call king of the Jews? He's, he's asking the crowd, What do you want me to do? And you can kind of tell, you can kind of tell that there's something in him that says, I don't think Jesus deserves to be crucified. Look at verses 13 and the beginning of 14. In 13 it says, And they cried out again, Crucify him. But Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? See, there's something in Pilate that knows what's right. And it doesn't seem right that they would put Jesus to death. He says, What evil has he done? He wants to do what's right. At least it seems a part of him does. But then we read on. 
We read on, and the rest of verse 14 says this. But they shouted all the more, crucify him. And then look at verse 15, it's sad. Look at verse 15. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Did you, did you catch that? Wishing to satisfy the crowd, he delivered Jesus to be crucified. So we've got to ask the question again. I mean, certainly in Pilate we see a picture of, of depravity that led Jesus to the cross. But do we see that today? Anybody in here struggle to be a people pleaser? You care maybe sometimes more about your own reputation and about making other people happy and managing other people's view of who you are than you do about standing up for what's right. That's me sometimes. I know that, that I see a snapshot of depravity not just in Pilate, but I see this in me. And this is depraved. It's uglier than we think it is. It's sinful because it's idolatry. We ought to live not to please others, but to please God. And so in this people-pleasing puppet, we have a snapshot of the kind of depravity that would lead Jesus to be crucified. There's a third one we see here, and that is the crowd, the manipulated multitude. The manipulated multitude. Remember, the crowd has actually played a number of different roles here in the Gospel of Mark. And most recently, it doesn't seem recently to us because it was like a year ago that we were in Mark 11. But in Mark 11, you remember as Jesus was entering into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey like a king. They were laying down their coats before him. They were crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what the crowd is saying. Sunday. Now it's Friday. In a very short amount of time, we see that the crowd has been manipulated. So look at verses 11 to 14. Verses 11 to 14 we read, But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, What shall I do with the man you call king of the Jews? And they cried out, Crucify him. The same ones who were crying out, maybe, I don't know. It's a crowd anyway. At one point a crowd was crying out, Hosanna. Now a crowd's crying out, Crucify him. Same people that were in town for the same feast. He says, what evil has he done? They shouted all the more, crucify him. And eventually Pilate delivers Jesus over to be crucified. And we wonder, we look at that, like how can, these, how can the crowd be so shallow? How can they be one spot at one point and, and just days later, it's like they did a total 180. How, how does that happen? How do the multitudes get manipulated so easily? And then again, we step back and we say, you know what, I guess that didn't just happen then, did it? I guess that didn't just happen then. Do we see the multitudes being easily manipulated in our world today? How many of our own thoughts and attitudes are shaped more by the crowd of our culture than they are by the Word of God? More so than we realize. So easy for our minds to be changed and warped and twisted when the crowd seems to be all headed in the same direction, it's hard to go against the grain. It's a lot easier to just blend in. So we see a big moral shift in our culture in a number of ways. 
We might look at that. We might not, we might not applaud it. We might not march in a parade. But we also might be really hesitant to say anything that might cost us something. Maybe a promotion at work. Maybe a friendship. Maybe a loss of a reputation. The truth is, it's really easy to be a part of the manipulated multitude, isn't it? It is. And in the manipulated multitude, we have a snapshot of the kind of depravity that would deliver Jesus over to be crucified. And we've got one more. One more. One more snapshot we see here, and it's in verses 16 to 20. We're introduced in verses 16 to 20 to some soldiers, some tyrants who will torment Jesus with mocking words and physical abuse as Jesus stands there silent, just taking it. Let's look at that again in verses 16 to 20. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed, spitting on him, kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, then they stripped him of the purple cloak put his own clothes on him, and then they led him out to crucify him. When we realize who it is that they're doing this to, when we realize that this is Jesus, this is the one by whom, through whom, and for whom all things were created, and this is the kind of treatment that he's getting from evil, guilty men who laughed as they participated in the most evil crime ever committed by humanity. This is a snapshot of depravity here in verses 16 to 20. And again, we back up and we say, do we see anything like this in our world today? We, we talked about this in Sunday school a little bit. Because it's true, isn't it, that even today, his name is dragged through the mud. That Jesus, by whom, through whom, and for whom all things were created, his name is used in jest. People mock him to get a laugh both on the big screen and in the school hallway. His name is often used at the workplace, but not in a way that exalts him, but instead in a way that's strung together with a number of other expletives. See Jesus' name being profaned today, and that is a snapshot of depravity. Here in these tormenting tyrants, we have our fourth snapshot of the kind of depravity that would lead Jesus to be crucified. So it's clear to see, isn't it? I mean, we, we go through, it's hard to even say, well, who's responsible for Jesus being led to be crucified? Is it, is it the, the religious I'm right? Is it the manipulated multitude? Is it the people-pleasing puppet? Is it the tormenting tyrants? Who's responsible? The answer is, well, all of them. And then we, we look at those snapshots and we see us in all of those. And so we recognize our responsibility in it as well. That it is through the sinful actions of depraved people, they're the means by which Jesus is delivered over to be crucified. And the result of all this depravity is that Jesus is delivered over to be crucified. Seems obvious, but just let's look at the end of verse 15 and the end of verse 20. The end of verse 15 says, And they led him, wait, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And then at the end of verse 20, and they led him out to crucify him. Just making clear 
that the result of all of these depraved actions of depraved human beings lead to Jesus going out to be crucified. We see how that happens directly here in this passage, and then again we we look at ourselves and we see how more indirectly our sin as well leads Jesus to the cross. Jesus here is rejected as king. You notice how many times the, the phrase king of the Jews is repeated here. And they're rejecting Jesus as the king. That's what we do as well. That's sinful. Now if we stay right here in this passage, we're left with a lot of heaviness. Because we feel the heaviness. We, we see the ugly depravity of humanity. And we can relate to it more than we'd like to think. And so we see that, and that's heavy. And then we see the unfair, cruel treatment of the innocent one who's being delivered to the cross. And that's heavy. This is heavy stuff as we walk through the end of the Gospel of Mark. But thankfully, the Gospel of Mark is not the totality of Scripture. And we have much more Scripture that helps us to better understand the significance of why it was. And what it is the connection between our depravity and Jesus going to the cross. How do those two things relate? And it's easier to see that as we look to other spots in Scripture. So I want to end this morning by looking at a couple of spots in the book of Romans. So if you have your Bible, just turn ahead a few books. If if you're in Mark, you just need to go through Luke. John, Acts, and then to the book of Romans. Because we don't want to just look at the characters in Mark 15 and shake our heads at their depravity and say, man, it must have been bad back then. And they must have been really bad people. We can't, it's not like that anymore, is it? Well, let's look at Romans chapter 1. And as I read this, this is, this is Paul describing what was happening here in the first century. This is a long time ago. But as I read Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18, or verse 21 actually, I want you to be thinking about, does this sound at all familiar to the world that you find yourself living in right now? Look at this. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind, to do what ought not to be done. This list is heavy. Look at this. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, 
Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. We look at that passage and we have to say, if we're honest, that doesn't just sound like them back then. That sounds like us now. And it makes it even more clear if you turn ahead just a little bit to Romans 3. Starting in verse 10, it says this, As it is written, none is righteous. I mean, you think, you think that's just them? You, you think all that stuff that I just did, that, that's just the other people? But, but me, I'm fine. Hold on. Romans 3, starting in verse 10, As it's written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is a grave. They use their tongues to deceive The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. And there is no fear of God before their eyes. Makes it pretty clear we're all among the guilty. No one is righteous. No, not one. You're like, I thought you said you were going to get some good news, right? Uh, We're not there yet, right? It doesn't seem like you're just talking about, so, so okay, I get it. It's not just them that had a problem. It's us that have a problem. I get that. But, but is there a solution? I see that Jesus was led to the cross by the depraved actions of depraved human beings. But what hope is there? Is there any hope? And there is. Just look a little bit further ahead in Romans chapter 3. We're going to end by looking at these two verses. Romans chapter 3 starting in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And again, you're like, yeah, I get it. Verse 24. And are justified. That means that, that, that even though you're clearly guilty, justified means you're declared righteous. That, that your, your guilt, which is very clear, all the evidence is against you. Right? But you're justified. You're declared righteous. How? It says, by His grace, as a gift. So he just, he just gives that. But it costs something. It says it's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward, or whom God delivered as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Whom God put forward as a perfect... Yes, it was depraved humanity that led Jesus to the cross, but here in in Romans 3.25, we learn that it was God who delivered him over. God put him forward as a propitiation, as the one who would bear the wrath of the Father, bear the penalty for our sin. And it's to be received, how? By faith. It doesn't matter how many times you've heard that. It doesn't matter how many times I've preached that. That's good news, isn't it? That is good news. Because we're a mess. As messed up as everything is, as depraved as we and the rest of the world are, there's hope for us. There's hope for us because Jesus was delivered over by the depraved so that he could deliver the depraved. Right? And so there's hope for us. 
in the coming weeks, we're going to see that, that there's nobody outside the scope of hope, right? Because one of these tormenting tyrants, a Roman centurion, is going to confess, truly, this man was the Son of God. We're going to see one of, one of the members of the Sanhedrin named Joseph of Arimathea. We're going to see him get it. He used to be a part of the religious I'm rights, and now he's going to get it too. So I don't know if you're thinking about yourself and thinking about yourself and saying, you know what, there's no hope for me. I'm too much of a mess. Or you're thinking about somebody else. Oh, they're too far gone. You're wrong. Because nobody's so far gone that they can't be reached by the grace of God in Christ. Our sin is uglier than we think. The depravity of humanity is not just a thing out there, it's a thing in here, and it's deeper than we care to know. But we do not despair, because Jesus died to deliver the depraved. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Oh, that's good news. That's good for news for me, a sinner. Know that I sin against you in thought, in deed, in word. So many things that you call me to obedience in that I fail to be obedient in. So many times that I'm I'm just another people-pleasing puppet. So many times I'm I'm manipulated like the rest of the multitudes, start to think like the rest of the world. So many times I think I'm so right and I have a heart filled with more criticism than compassion. So many times that, that your name is profaned. It doesn't even bother me. God, we are among the depraved. It was our sin, among many other things, it was our sin that led Jesus to the cross. But I thank you so much that it was part of your plan. That it would be through what Jesus accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection that the depraved like us could be delivered. Help us to Rejoice in that good news. Help us to always find hope in that good news. And help us not to give up hope for those around us who are lost, who need to hear that good news. They're not too far gone. Thank you for Jesus and his work. In his name we pray. Amen.